Have you ever come to a fork in the road? You know, you get to that spot where you've got to turn the steering wheel to the left or the right. There's, there's two roads, and you've got to figure out which one you're going to go on. Or that point in life where you have a major decision in life, and, and there's really only two choices, and you've got to figure out which choice you're going to make. Well, since the mid-1980s, Dale Whistler has been dealing with a fork in the road over and over and over again. The Hyde Park Bar and Grill sits in a groove where Duval Street and Park Boulevard meet in Austin, Texas. Out front of the Hyde Park Bar and Grill, there is a huge, gigantic fork. It's a fork that sits up probably 20 feet in the air, and the, and the tines stick straight up in the air. It's pretty impressive when you ride by, and, and what Dale has been doing for years is he has been creating things to go on top of that fork. He's an artist, and he designs this creation, and, and they put it on top of the fork. And it's so delicate, they have to put it on top of the fork with a crane. These are some of the things that he has put on top of the fork over the years. He has put a globe, a chocolate-covered heart, a tomato, uh, even a, a birthday candle, a set of birthday candles that looked like they were a little thing of, of French fries, a little order of fries. And since the restaurant is only about a mile from the University of Texas at Austin, he also one time put some big old Texas Longhorns on top of that fork. So the fork has had some good things. Now, if we were to ride by this morning down Duval Street, we would see Dale's latest creation that he has put on top of that culinary tool. Just in time for Thanksgiving, it is a huge, gigantic, large roasted turkey sitting right up on top of the fork. You could say that Dale is an artist that really knows how to stick a fork into something. He knows. But what if you don't have Dale's talent? What if you don't have his artistic ability? I mean, you come to a fork in the road, you can't just create and design something neat to stick on it. Well, you might need to turn to the counsel of the late philosopher Lawrence Peter Barra. And he said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. Yogi Bear always had a way of, of kind of moving through all the confusion and making everything just make sense, right? Truth of the matter, though, is Yogi wasn't far off with this one. No, you cannot come to a fork in the road and take both roads at the same time. That's not possible. But there is some help and there is some direction for every single fork in the road. There is some help and some direction for every single decision that you have to make in life. And that help and that direction comes guaranteed all the time with hope. That no matter which path you end up on, no matter which decision you end up making, there is hope at the end of that path and hope at the end of that decision. Now that sounds a little too good to be true, right? A guaranteed hope in all the forks of life. Guaranteed hope the end of all the decisions of life. It does sound too good to be true, but it is. Look with me at Psalm 19, verse 7. King David writes, The testimony of the Lord is sure. An eyewitness in a court case is going to give their testimony about what they saw with their own two eyes. God gives his testimony not about what he has seen, but about who he is. God gives a testimony about who he is and what he's done and what he's doing and what he's going to do. 
So when you're listening to a sermon or you're listening to a Sunday school lesson or you're listening to youth group on Wednesday night or you're listening to a devotional book or you're reading your Bible on your own, you should be asking questions like this. What is God revealing about himself right now? What is God telling me about the way that he does things? And what is God telling me about the way that he does not do things? And why does that matter? Why should you pay attention to any of that? Well, because the testimony of God is the only testimony that can rationally and spiritually make sense of the realities of life. You see, the testimony of God is the only thing that can make a, an understanding out of every single thing that's going on in the world. You see, the, the universe is built on and built with, so to speak, it's Underneath all of this is the testimony of God. It is ultimate truth. It is sure. It is reliable. It is trustworthy. And it is absolute truth. Now, there's many people in the world that say there's no such thing as absolute truth, especially when you connect it to God. And that's a conversation that's been going on all the way back even to the garden when the serpent said, did God, did God really say that? There's always been a, a questioning of absolute truth. And of course, there's no way that I can respond to all the objections of absolute truth in, in one sermon. But I do want to give a few word pictures to help us think from some things that I came across in my reading this past week. So we're going to kind of eavesdrop on a conversation today between Joe Christian and Mike Skeptic. Okay, Mike does not believe in absolute truth. So here's what they have to say. Joe, truth is subjective. Well, Mike, if truth was subjective and you believed you could fly and you climbed to the top of a tall tower and you really believed you could fly and you jumped, what would happen? Well, I guess I'd fly for about five seconds and then I'd probably hit the ground. But Mike, if truth were subjective, that would mean you would fly. But truth was not subject to your belief. You were subject to the objective truth of gravity. It did not matter what you believed, you still would fall. Now, I realize that if Mike had a, you know, a V4 Martin jetpack that he had bought, that he could probably fly longer than five seconds, so I will give you that. But, but we're looking at this in, in the most basic form. And what we're saying is this. If you peel away any layer of life in the universe anything at all, you will find some measure of objective truth that stands alone. It's not dependent, it's not subject on whether you believe it to be true or not. It is true, and you are actually subject to it. What you believe about it doesn't really matter because it's true whether you believe it or not. And so when we put this in the, in the form of God's testimony, God's testimony about himself is the ultimate absolute truth underneath all other truth. And so whether we're talking about the truth of nature or things beyond nature, we are saying that the origins of all truth are in the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. That's a big statement. But it's the statement that God gives about himself and God tells us to share with the world. Now, God, by his design, has chosen to present his testimony about himself in the pages of the Bible. 
So that means when we look at the Bible, we see that the Bible testifies to the wonders of creation. The Bible testifies to the wrath of judgment. The Bible testifies to the existence of true love. And the Bible testifies to the existence of true sin. The Bible does not specifically testify that the flame of a fire is made up of carbon dioxide and water vapor and and nitrogen and oxygen. It doesn't say that. The Bible does not testify specifically that you should take Highway 378 instead of Highway 1 when you are faced with that decision. The Bible does not specifically testify that you should marry Bubba Ray instead of Bubba Roy. I know sometimes that could be a hard decision, but you know the Bible doesn't specifically tell you what you should do in that matter. But of course, the Bible gives tons of principles for how we should make decisions. But the Bible does specifically testify that there is one God and there is no other. One God and there is no other. In other words, if that's true, then the Bible really does make sense of all the other ultimate realities of life because we have discovered the ultimate reality, and that is God himself. One of those ultimate realities that we see in the pages of the Bible is the reality about Jesus of Nazareth. I want to listen in one more time on Joe Christian and and Mike Skeptic here. Mike says, Joe, there's no way we can possibly know who God is. Well, Mike, how do you know we cannot know who God is? Well, Joe, just look at all the religious people of the world. There's Jews, there's Muslims, there's Hindus, there's Buddhists, there's atheists, there's Christians, and there's a hundred more. Are you telling me, Joe, that you can possibly know which one is true? Well, Mike, can they all be true? Why not, Joe? I mean, they all have a little bit of truth in them, right? Okay, Mike, think about it this way. For example, atheists believe there is no God, and Christians, Muslims, and Jews believe there is a God. It is not logical or possible for both groups to be right. Would you agree? Okay, Joe, for the sake of argument, let's just say that God does exist and the atheists are wrong. Don't all religions believe the same thing? I mean, isn't it just a matter of loving people and accepting people around you? I mean, that's really what God wants us to do, right? Well, Mike, you're right. God does want us to love people. But even if for the sake of argument we are saying that God exists, not all those different religions can be true. Jesus could not die and not die on the cross. Jesus could not be the Son of God and not be the Son of God. It's just not logical. With Jesus, we have two options. He was the Son of God or he was not the Son of God. He died on the cross or he did not die on the cross. Mike's got some good questions. Mike Mike Skeptic is is asking some good questions and, and Joe Christian is giving some good answers. The kind of answers that really leave Mike with only one of two decisions. Either yes, Jesus is the Son of God or no, Jesus is not the Son of God. This is how Jesus said it. John 14, verse 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so let's take those two responses and let's put them in some language of how we might hear it. So it's a yes and a no, but but sometimes we might hear it a little different. So Mike might respond this way to Joe. 
Yes, I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that there is no way for me to be right with God and to make sense out of the realities of life without Him. That could be one way He answered, or He could say it this way. I'm not sure this stuff about Jesus sounds right, but I just don't know if He really is the way to God or not. Okay, third response, more on the no side. I respect your beliefs. I'm glad you found something that works for you, but I just don't need Jesus or religion. And then maybe another type of no. Mike could say something like this. No, I do not believe Jesus is the way. I choose to have a much deeper blind faith in my own subjective system of life. And he could go a little beyond that. Mike might even say something like this. I choose to ignore God's eternal power and divine nature that he has made evident in every single generation since the first person existed. I also ignore the historical and rational evidence about Jesus of Nazareth and believe that if he existed, he might have been a nice guy, but based on what has been recorded that he said, I conclude that he was a lunatic and he was a liar. Now, I am not an angry, evangelical, conservative Christian standing in my bully pulpit screaming at you that you better turn or burn. It's not what I'm saying. I am actually a 43-year-old, balding husband, father of four, raised in North Augusta, South Carolina, rescued by God through the gospel, just graciously saying on behalf of Jesus Christ and on behalf of the church, this. Jesus Christ is Lord, whether you believe it or not. But we really want you to believe it. <laughs> we really want you to know that this truth about Jesus really is truth. You see, when we look at the Bible, the most powerful portion of the Bible is this portion that, that shows us a feeding trough in Bethlehem. This portion that, that shows us a, a cross outside of Jerusalem. This portion that shows us a borrowed tomb that eventually was empty. And that portion about Jesus is actually in this remarkable book that we call the Bible. See, about 3,000 years ago, God started making sure that what he wanted people to know, he started speaking, and then it started being written down, and, and then even into the New Testament, we have the truth of God being written down. And what God did was generation after generation, he helped people see, and they turned to the testimony of the Lord, and they trusted God with all of their heart. And their, their life was built on this testimony and they discovered that it was sure and it was reliable and it was trustworthy. And David, when he was writing this psalm, he only had a portion of this testimony. He didn't have all of it. He just had a portion. But he discovered that the portion that he had about God was sure and reliable and trustworthy. 
And about a thousand years after David, there were some people like Simeon and Anna, two people who met the baby Jesus in the temple. And they had more to read of the testimony than David did. And they discovered, they found it to be sure and reliable and trustworthy. And now we, 2,000 years later, we have this book that God has inspired with his truth. And we have more reason historically and rationally and spiritually to believe that his book is sure. His testimony is reliable and his word is trustworthy. Jeff Thomas says this, can you imagine me offering you some product today and telling you absolutely truthfully what this product would do for you if you took it into your life? That it would revive your soul, make you wise, give joy to your heart, give light to your eyes, would last forever and be altogether dependable. Would I have any difficulty getting rid of boxes of the stuff? If you should say, how much is it? And that you would be prepared to pay big bucks for something guaranteed to revive your soul, to make you wise, to give joy to your heart, to give light to your eyes. It would last forever, and it would be altogether reliable. And you would cry, $30,000 if that can be mine, and do all that for me, and it would even be cheap at that price. David was probably in his late 50s, early 60s when he wrote Psalm 19. He probably died about 10 years later. And so consider this man. He was a king for 40 years. He was a victorious warrior, like real battle, hand-to-hand combat. He was victorious a lot. He was a very talented musician. He was a gifted poet. He was a giant slayer. And he was a giant sinner. But through all of his sin, through all of his adventures, through all of his victories, as he gets to about the last 10 years of his life, he writes down that the testimony of the Lord is the most sure and most reliable and most trustworthy thing in the world. This man who had experienced so much gave total attention to God's truth. See, the testimony of the Lord for David was not subject to his opinion. It was true because God spoke it and God kept it. But it wasn't just truth for the sake of truth. Look at the next thing he writes in verse 7. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The simple. We can think of simple a couple different ways here, or maybe in two senses we might say. In one sense, simple here would mean someone who is untaught. There's someone who, they're in need of instruction. But we could also think of simple in terms of someone who is willing to be taught, someone who is willing to receive instruction. So if we were to use two words to describe this one word simple, we could say ignorant and teachable, a little of both. But those two words bring an interesting dynamic to this, and here's why. See, an ignorant, unlearned person can be unteachable. They cannot listen to you. They can push you away, and they can push God away. But an arrogant, learned person can also be unteachable. They can not listen to you. They can ignore you. They can push God away. But on the same token, an ignorant person who is unlearned, they can humble themselves and learn. 
And an arrogant person who is very learned, they can humble themselves and and acknowledge that they don't have all the answers and they can learn themselves. If we think about this in terms of our culture, we might think of of the words atheist and, and agnostic in a conversation like this. Atheist is a word that has a a Greek etymology that means without God or denying the gods. Agnostic is a a word that has a Greek etymology that that means without knowledge. It seems that the Latin equivalent is the word ignorant, and someone has even suggested that it's a a word connected to ignoramus. (laughs) Sounds kind of mean, right? Because nobody would say, well, you know, when it comes to God, I'm just an ignoramus. You know, we wouldn't think anyone would say that, but there seems to be a connection with the word agnostic along those lines. So just by the the sheer etymology, the, the, the word meanings, we could say that an atheist is someone who is without God by choice, on purpose. And for an agnostic, we could say that that they are a person that is without God on purpose, by choice. If you caught, I just said the exact same thing. Because it is true. See, an atheist will will take the things of God and they'll consider the things of God, maybe for a few seconds, maybe for a few hours or a few weeks, a few days, maybe even a few years, but ultimately they say, no, I I want to be without God. I choose to reject and to ignore God. An agnostic will not really consider the things of God. They, They will not really look into who God is, but they still make the choice to be without God. They just make it in a different way. They they make it by saying, I just don't want the knowledge. I don't care about it. Now, this is what makes the Bible an incredible book. Because the Bible has the ability, the testimony of the Lord has the ability to help the atheist and the agnostic and the non-Christian and the Christian. This, this one book that we preach, this one book that we read, David is saying that when it comes to the ultimate testimony of the Lord, this testimony can actually make ignorant, untaught people wise. It can actually change their life. Any person, anywhere, anytime, at any fork in the road. Now let me just note this. This is not an educational exercise, okay? This isn't about you finding a good Bible study or maybe taking some seminary classes. No, the the only way that the testimony of the Lord can capture your heart and give you joy and reward you and give you hope is through the work of the Spirit of God. This is what Jesus said, John 16, verse 13. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative. See, the Holy Spirit is is not really trying hard to give you goosebumps because you like the music on Sunday morning. And the Holy Spirit is not really trying to give you unction to, to say amen because you like something in the sermon on Sunday morning. The Holy Spirit is always trying to speak about the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is always trying to light up the testimony of the Lord. So not only will it make you wise, but it will help you meet the greatest need that you have in your life. And what is the greatest need that you have in your life? The greatest need you have is that Jesus would be your way and your truth and your life and your treasure and your reward and your hope. That you would have Jesus as your own and that Jesus would have you. That is your greatest need. 
And that's why listening to the Bible, whether a sermon or, or a devotion time or a class or whatever, that's why listening to the Bible is so important, but it's also so dependent on God's Spirit. Jeff Crotch was one of the pastors at my in-law's church, one of the coolest, nicest guys I've, I've ever met. He said this in a book that he wrote, The primary goal of the preacher is not to cater to the listener's preferences or to give inspiring emotional speeches, but to preach the truth of God's Word clearly and faithfully. Conversion does not happen because of persuasive, winsome messages, setting the mood, telling stories, or manipulation, but as the Holy Spirit works through the clearly communicated truth of God. The truth of God, the testimony of the Lord, that's what converts a person. That's what changes a person. That's what rewards a person. That's what gives a person hope. What does that look like in real life? Well, there's a story told about a college professor who went to the Fiji Islands to do some work. And while he was there one day, he was talking to an elderly chief of one of the villages on one of the islands. And this is what the professor said to him. Chief, you're a great leader, but it's a pity you've been taken in by those foreign missionaries. They only want to get rich through you. No one believes the Bible anymore. And then he said this. People are tired of the threadbare story of Christ dying on a cross for the sins of mankind. They know better now. I'm sorry you've been so foolish as to accept their story. Well, the chief had a response. And it's a little bit graphic. You see that great rock over there? On it, we smashed the heads of our victims. Notice the furnace next to it. In that oven, we formerly roasted the bodies of our enemies. If it hadn't been for those good missionaries and the love of Jesus that changed us from cannibals into Christians, you'd never leave this place alive. You better thank the Lord for the gospel. Otherwise, we'd already be feasting on you. If it weren't for the Bible, you'd now be our supper. So, so don't miss this. The testimony of the Lord can make the simple cannibal wise. The testimony of the Lord can make the simple agnostic professor wise. The testimony of the Lord can make the simple missionary wise. The testimony of the Lord can change the life of the atheist, change the life of the agnostic, change the life of the kid who grows up in church. The testimony of the Lord is that powerful. And it comes with a guarantee. This, this wisdom that the testimony of the Lord gives, it, it comes with a guarantee. What kind of guarantee? This is how Peter said it. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. Now, don't miss this verse, because this is what Peter just said to all of us. There is a cure for every single problem a Christian has. There is an answer for every single decision that a Christian has. There is direction for every single fork in the road for a Christian. There is a cure. There is an answer. There is hope. And what is it? Well, here's the cure. Here's the answer. Here's the direction. Here's the guidance. Here's the hope. You ready? You're saved. That's it. 
It's the cure for everything. You've been born again. You have been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. Your entire life, by the sin that you have sinned, you deserve the wages of your sin, which is death. But because of Jesus Christ, a completely different declaration now sits over your life, and that declaration is not guilty. That is the cure for everything. That is the answer for everything. That Jesus Christ has actually rescued the deepest reality of your life, and that is your soul. Peter says you've been born again through a seed which doesn't die and fade away. What kind of seed is that? I mean, our grass is dying, and we plant things, and you may try to raise tomatoes, and they don't make it, or whatever it is. We know all about seeds that die and, and things that fade away. What kind of seed doesn't die. Well, it's a seed that's created and owned by God. And since God doesn't die, since God doesn't fade away, that means his seed, this imperishable seed, doesn't fade away. It doesn't die. And so what is that seed? Well, long ago, God started speaking about this seed. He started telling about this seed, his testimony. And then it started being written down in the Old Testament and and then even into the New Testament. And so this imperishable seed, this thing that cannot die, this thing that cannot fade away, Peter says, is the enduring word of God. The testimony of the Lord is what endures. The testimony of the Lord makes the simple wise, and the testimony of the Lord makes the lost saved forever. Forever. You see, if we get technical and we break this down, there's really only one fork in the road. Just one in life. Jesus described it this way. When you get to that fork, you're going to have two gates. One of those gates is going to be a wide gate, and the other gate is going to be a narrow gate. And the Holy Spirit, through the testimony of the Lord, found in the gospel of Jesus Christ, calls simple, humble people, simple, humble sinners. And he calls them to the narrow gate. And Jesus says that the wide gate leads to eternal destruction, but that the wide, the narrow gate, it leads to life. And what kind of life? Everlasting life. Ah, it's pie in the sky stuff. Ah, that's not real. It's more real than the movies you'll see next weekend. It's more real than the CGI effects in those movies. It's more real than than family that does not stay with us forever. It's more real than jobs that don't always do the right thing. It's more real than governments that don't always do the right thing. It's more real than every single reality in the universe, the everlasting life that comes through Jesus Christ. Why? Because everything God has ever said in his testimony, he's proved. It's been sure. It's been reliable. It's been trustworthy. This Thanksgiving week, We live in a time full of unknowns. We live in a time full of questions. Whether it be refugees or terrorists or even just whether you're going to get along with your family this holiday. We live in a world of unknowns. But if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, no matter what the unknown may be, what, no matter what fork you may come to, no matter what opinions may be out there, there is one thing that a Christian never wakes up without. A Christian never has a thanksgiving without. A Christian never goes to bed without. And that's hope. 
a Christian never loses hope because our hope is not dependent on us. It's dependent on a sure, reliable God who has rescued us through his son. I have read this over and over every day for the last three weeks, and it has yet to lose any of its punch. And so I ask you to listen closely for the good of your soul. Martin Luther. And though this world with devil's field should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage, we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little, sure, reliable, trustworthy word shall fail him. That sure, reliable, trustworthy word above all powers, no thanks to them, it abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. Why? Why does God's truth still abide? Why does God's truth still stand? Because God's truth, beyond any nation, noble or evil. God's truth, beyond any person, noble or evil. God's truth, God's nation, God's kingdom, really is forever. Forever and ever and ever. At every fork in your life, at every decision, at every confusing point, there is one thing that never changes. Our God is king forever. And we put our hope in that. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would make these things real. We know them as information. We've, we've heard them in our ears this morning, but, but we ask now that you would help them to seep into our hearts that we would marinate on these great truths and that we would see there is a hope in Jesus that is beyond anything that we can imagine and it's good for every single moment of life and now Father we come to take of the bread and the cup we, we take time in these moments just to sit and reflect and and think about this hope that we have and this truth that we have, that it's not a fairy tale or a myth, but this story about Jesus is real. Help us love you now, Lord Jesus, as we remember you. In your name we pray, amen.